It's your Kali. What's up? Hey, y'all. What's up? You're about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, live music, booty bump and beats, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. Hello, you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolo County Little Village. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jerry, and I'm here with... Bettina. Today in What's Up, we are having our Neighborhood Reporting Special, a collaborative and exciting show between City Bureau and Yolo County's journalism class, Your Story, Your Way. Teens from Yolo County partnered up with City Bureau fellows to work on special reporting and audio pieces from our neighborhoods in Chicago. Today's show is compiled of diverse topics, which are home lending, neighborhood and communities change around the Latino neighborhoods and migration, and as well the census. So, hello Bettina, how are you today? Hi Jerry, thanks for having us here. So before we get started, what is City Bureau? Yeah, um, so City Bureau is a nonprofit civic journalism lab based in Woodlawn. And what we do is we bring communities and journalists together in collaborative ways to produce more equitable, impactful local media. Um, that's why we love working with Yolo Kali. Just to get um, the show going, why did we happen to pick these topics, which are home lending, neighborhood, and community change? Sure. So City Bureau runs a reporting fellowship and our amazing 16 fellows in the summer. We had done some pre-reporting about topics that were interesting, things that were sort of newsy, but maybe weren't getting as in-depth coverage as they should be. For instance, there were some census numbers that were revealed and people were talking about how neighborhoods have changed in Chicago and some populations going up and down. And we sort of thought that there there was way more to the story than just the numbers. Um, and that's how we came across some of these story topics today. So for today's show it's called neighborhood reporting so last question before we get started what is the importance of neighborhood reporting in a local or national scale we think neighborhood reporting is so important because everything that you see on the news at a national or even global level really starts with the people who live next to you. Conversations that we have with our neighbors every day, that you know, little weird tidbit of information you pick up while you're waiting for the bus in the morning. Those are the things that really make news uh, personal for people. And at City Bureau, it's just so important to us that we make sure we're, we're telling our own stories, that we are sort of galvanizing neighborhood resources and making sure that the the things that ha- that are happening that are important to us every single day are told in a way that really represents our realities. And locally, I'm really grateful that we were able to work with you guys. It's something very impactful that uh, neighborhood reporting is that has to be in just any community. For the most part, as the big question is, who gets to write our own history? So knowing that the youth of Yolokali uh, are working with fellows from City Bureau uh, in creating this history and marking our history in this neighborhood or in neighborhoods around Chicago, it's something that is very impactful for the youth and as well for future generations. Definitely. I mean, we love working with Yolokali because the youth here are just so connected. They have so much energy around these issues. 
And uh, what we think is so important at City Bureau is this collaborative learning process where we get to work with each other, we get to learn a lot. Um, and the stories that you tell when you work with somebody else, I feel like everyone here can attest to that, just become so much more nuanced and robust because you know, you're know you bouncing ideas off each other and it's a generative process. So we have the first group, which is Neighborhood Change. Hello. Hello, how are you today? I'm doing great. We're so excited to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about your group project? Yeah, so Team Neighborhood Change, we're looking at changes on the south and west side of the city with regard to the population. We noticed by looking at census numbers that over the past 10 years and more, there have been a lot of changes in three key neighborhoods, which were Back of the Yards, Chicago Lawn, and Brighton Park. And some of the changes included the race and ethnicity of its residents. Some neighborhoods were becoming more overall integrated. Some of them were becoming more Latino, maybe more Asian. There was population loss. Black population loss has been a big issue of Chicago's overall demographic change. And there were some other interesting things too that tied into business and the overall age of the population in a neighborhood and how those changes really affect the priorities in the future of the community. In neighborhood change, we have Cynthia, Myra, Michelle, and Rocio. Hello, everyone. How are you guys today? Hello, I'm good. Hello, how are you? Cynthia, what was the interest in your topic for your piece? I think mainly, like it was stated, the community is changing and it's pretty evident. We see it every day. And as a young person, I feel like the one thing that we were lacking to report on is like how young people feel about the situations. Like, yeah, I know I explained it in my audio piece. It is more of an adult situation because, you know, it's our parents, the ones that deal with everything. But how does the teen population feel about this? A few words, Maya, on working yeah. with Cynthia. Actually, when Cynthia and I first got together and tried to brainstorm on how we wanted to tackle the topic, um, she kept leaning towards working with youth and younger people and in particular teenagers. So that's kind of what we stuck with. And she did a really great job of reporting. And Michelle with Rocio. Hi. What was your interest in your topic? Focus on noble schools, like how they're now expanding everywhere. Because I know that for a fact in near back of the yards, there was none. So when my mom wanted me to go to one, she made me go all the way to Pilsen. And I was knowing that there's one actually five minutes away from my house, one called Mansuero. I see that non, not only are there's like a new school, there's also more noble and like more disciplined here. And Rocio? Yeah, like when I was um, telling Michelle about my project, she had said that there was more charter schools in the neighborhood. And I think her focus on the topic that she wanted to get to know why her mom sent her to a charter school and um, with discipline and her friend that she used to go to a public school and now the change that now that she's in a charter school. So I thought that she did a good job with that. Cynthia, would you mind introducing the name of your audio piece? Um, my audio piece is called Community Changes. Throughout the past couple of years, the Little Village neighborhood has seen a variety of changes, from mom-and-pop shops closing to changes in the community's demographics. The idea of interviewing teens came about wanting to see if they are affected and how they feel about the situations, even though this is widely discussed amongst the adult population and in the media. My name is Melissa. Regalado. I feel like I see other people from different cultures more. Like, I was just seeing a lot of, like, Hispanics. And now I'm there's more people of different cultures, I guess. I would say that. Or, like, at least it's becoming more open to different, like, 
ethnicities. Not much, but like it's still something. I like that other people from other ethnicities are coming here. So, cause I think it becomes makes more people more aware of what other people are and like who they are. I think here, I I think it would be a great change because I see like a lot of people are very not racist, but they're not very open about seeing other ethnicities. And I think it it's a good way to like introduce them to something, but also. Uh, keep in mind the gentrification and like I don't want my community to be gentrified. I don't want other people to go take it over and just basically like wash the culture out of it. But I do appreciate that there's other ethnicities who are here to appreciate what my community is about. I think that still like fear. Personally, I think for them like immigration issues. I think even though there's like more hype right now, I think it's still been it's always been the same. There's always been accusations of ICE coming or like there's always been that police are like brutal and they'll like deport you or anything but like yeah i've heard that it just makes me think of an endless cycle and if we're like we don't fix that problem right now then it's just going to repeat itself so for example out of the fear of immigration and that if you don't educate people on that then they're going to live in that same ignorance they're going to seem like they're going to live in fear exactly for the violence or like the gang violence here if you don't like teach youth if you don't like educate youth or like just captivate their interest in different stuff then they're going to keep on getting tied up in the streets just setting that like really bad mindset on themselves instead of making them more united with their community or other people then that's how you stop a lot of this gang violence or like rivalries the culture i love the culture here i like it because it's like a second home for my parents they're they're from mexico and this is basically the little mexico of the midwest and i like that and i appreciate that it makes me more aware of what my parents are from and like it definitely makes me more appreciative of the type of culture I was brought into. I would like to make people more aware of stuff that is happening and how they can also better themselves. Definitely fix up the community, decorate it, put murals on it, preach more unity, just make people more aware. Also, I don't like the fact that there's a lot of hatred towards a lot of street vendors too. I don't know, it's just borderline like, I don't know. Like here also, like I don't like that because I think we should all be treated equally. A lot of people come here as immigrants and there's not a lot of funding or like programs where like these people can either like continue their education further for GED and other stuff. Also for like kids, like bring more like after school activities like in sports, arts, or like whatever stuff they're interested in, like STEM programs. I think that's good. My name is Vanessa Avalos. I have seen people of color. I like the diversity that is happening in the neighborhood. I think it's very nice that we have seen that in the neighborhood, but I also want to have the neighborhood to maintain its identity. I think it has changed a little bit because with the thing of uh, gentrification, we have seen shops or businesses that had been opening in the neighborhood that we haven't seen before. I hope that the neighborhood never changes its culture, its identity, that 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 colorful neighborhood never disappears and people will always be proud of their neighborhood and their culture and we celebrate. Personally, I would like to impact the neighborhood by becoming more involved and learn more about the things I can do to improve and have a better neighborhood for all. But the question that is most intriguing is, what is something from the neighborhood you take with you everywhere you go? The responses revealed similarities that are at the heart of Little Village. A lot of people speak Spanish, and I think that's different, and I carry that with other things like, oh, my community, we speak Spanish, like, that's, like, the norm here. 
of the culture wise too like yeah i'm aware of a lot of mexican traditions because of that because of where i'm brought up from i think i appreciate that and i appreciate like how like at the same time there's like a lot of negatives but there's also this little vibe that has like a lot of positivity a lot of like family type-esque here so i think i appreciate that and like i carry that i think my language everywhere i go i say i speak spanish i think something that i hope never changes is where we came from the immigrant community know our roots and like our traditions speaking to teens from the community allowed us to see how these changes are viewed in their perspective as a community we need to realize that although we might think community changes are more of an adult problem the youth is aware of everything going on My name is Michelle Jimenez, and I am a 17-year-old noble student who lives in the back of the yard's neighborhood for 13 years and counting. My family and I moved into this neighborhood because we were in search of an affordable place to live in. Living here has made me realize that there have been a lot of changes these past couple of years. Two high schools have opened, a public and with a big surprise, a charter school. This means that the number of schools in my neighborhood are increasing, especially the noble community who introduced Mansueto College Prep. Despite mentioning Mansueto being part of my neighborhood, in the fall, I would be a senior at UIC College Prep, a noble school in the Illinois Medical District area. For those who don't know, noble schools are open enrollment public charter network of high schools and middle schools serving students throughout Chicago founded in 1999. There are currently 18 branches of schools with a total of 1,200 students with a 98% college acceptance rate. UICCP was founded in 2008 with their core values being perseverance, respect, excellence, and pride. In this school, there are plenty of complaints, even for the smallest things such as missing uniform, which results in four demerits or warnings, equaling a detention. There are no more bathroom escorts, but many complain about the need to wear a lanyard with a pass to walk freely, one student at a time, and other reasons. Although Noble sounds amazing, students wouldn't react the same way. UICCP, Mansueto, Almost every school has students complain about their school either being too strict or even dehumanizing. For those who don't know, dehumanizing is the process of depriving a person or group of positive human qualities. Learning in an environment like Noble may be unique and all is not bad. I invited my mother and a friend to share their thought about this learning environment. Porque me gusta el sistema que tiene, la disciplina que tiene la escuela. Pienso que ayuda a ser responsables a los estudiantes y también en su formación profesional para ser unas personas mejor preparadas. She explains that the highlight of charter schools are their system and discipline. Both help a student become more responsible, which can help one become a better person. Uh, nuevamente menciono la disciplina porque no en todas las escuelas son muy exigentes. Al ser exigentes, los estudiantes saben que tienen que seguir las reglas y por lo mismo ellos van sabiendo ser un poco más responsables. También porque es una escuela con menos alumnos, eh, tal vez porque también la escuela Back of the Yards apenas en ese tiempo la abrieron. 
What makes charter schools unique is the fact that they take discipline seriously and this makes them more demanding unlike schools such as public schools. No fue convencerlo, pues los dos pensamos o creemos que era una buena opción para que tú estudiaras y más nos convencimos después de que fuimos al open house y supimos qué sistema tiene la escuela. After going to the open house, both my parents were convinced EOICCP was the right place for me and that's why I go there. The transition between a public school and a charter school for me was very surprising and different for me because with a public school, there was a lot of people who weren't like there for you at all. And with a charter school, there are more resources and there is more people to help you when you need the help and with a charter school there is more disciplinary and there's more advantages you could benefit from and with a public school there was just a few programs you could do from my experience some people didn't even care for me at all and with a charter school with my advisor and my advisory sisters They care for me a lot. With the public school, I didn't have the support I have in a charter school right now. For the transition between a public school and a charter school, for me, a public school can let you have these troubles in your life. But with a charter school, so there's more, more strict rules that can benefit you from getting in trouble. The discipline at charter schools is, in my opinion, very good because there are kids who come from all these different parts of Chicago. So when kids go to a charter school, the disciplinary can teach them a lot of things. And for me, the discipline at charter schools taught me to not chew gum in a professional place. And also, in my opinion, the disciplinary can benefit you from not acting immature outside of school. And with the demerit cycle, at charter schools. I think it's somewhat beneficial to a student's life because there's some students who do care about their life and try not to get in trouble that much because of the demerit cycle. Overall, I think that the demerit cycle is a good thing. As stated by the two interviews, both agreed that schools have a good idea of discipline. They teach us to be better people, to be the example that we are meant to be, and it is the right way to help students be prepared for their careers. By learning how to be organized, follow the rules, that is the best quality of a noble school. You are listening to What's Up Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2019, a collaboration between Yolo Kali and City Bureau. We just listened to Community Changes by Cynthia Salgado and Maya James, as well as Noble School in the Back of the Yards by Michelle Jimenez and Rocio Villasenor. Up next, we have Melissa Regalado and Samantha Cabrera Friend. Hello. Hi. Hi. So, how are you guys today? I'm fine. I'm really good. Quick shout out to my abuela. Hi. <laughs> shout out to the abuelas. To start off with your piece, what is the name of your piece and what was something that you found? The name of my piece is Street Vendors Ready for Population Change. It's about um, female street vendors and how they've like noticed any population change here. And also like collaborating with like what like the census is going, how they like there's a lot of like fear instilled in the community about like a lot of them like don't want to sell anymore because of like ice and like whatever that 
And we also have Sebastian Ramirez and Ashish Valentine. Hello, guys. Well, hello. Uh, could you tell us the name of your piece, Sebastian? Uh, it's called, uh, I think, Corner Stories or something like that. Rigor's yeah. Corner Stories. Yeah, Rigor's Corner Story. Could you tell us a little bit about your piece and what you found interesting while reporting? What was interesting was uh, I was just talking about, you know, Mexican heritage and, like, corner stores and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, that's it. I think what I find interesting on both of these audio pieces is that, for the most part, is very heavily community-based shops. So mom-and-pop shops and as well helping and uh, giving the, the spotlight to street vendors. Mm-hmm. What are your views on street vendors that have coring issues in, in the community? Um, like, in my opinion, I think they're, like, the most impacted because, like, they rely on that. Like, they don't sell, then, like, they don't earn money and they don't have to, like, they don't have enough money to provide for their family or anything. So, like, I think street vendors was, like, a good choice for me because it actually, like, it was more community-oriented and, like, it focused on, like, if this happened, then this would impact that. So I think the impact is greater than whatever. And Sebastian, you did a reporting on Rigo's Corner Store. What is the importance of mom-and-pop shops that are heavily needed in communities in Chicago? I think they're pretty much needed because, I mean, a lot of people shop there and, you know, people want money from that and yeah yeah i agree i think it's very important to support local community-based stores and as well as street vendors do you have any words bettina yeah did you learn anything ashish as you were working with sebastian on on this collaborative story project i did yeah so i related a lot to it because um something that sebastian wanted to explore was the idea that corner stores embody something about the culture that the people that run the corner store come from Specifically, a lot of Mexican families run corner stores around here. And Sebastian was telling me about how they kind of encapsulate Mexican culture and specifically the culture of Mexican states that they come from. And as an Indian, I relate a lot to that because I have the same feeling when I go to Indian or Pakistani corner stores around Chicago, like Sean and Uptown or like a lot of the places on Devon. So it just, I don't know, it really vibed with me. And Sebastian worked really hard on the piece. So. I'm really excited for y'all to hear it. And Samantha, how was they working with uh, Melissa? It was amazing, and she was amazing in developing the story, how quickly it kind of came to be, and thinking about, thinking past the idea of just a street vendor, but a voice that we might not necessarily hear directly from quite so often, but now thinking of female street vendors, perhaps not immediately of what people would think when they do think of street vendors, just because we're extreme experiencing like a population boost might not mean that they're experiencing a boost in business or the effects aren't necessarily as beneficial as one might think. So taking a moment to explore that and honestly utilize this platform for the benefit of them to use their voice and you to use your voice it was so, so beautiful and so exciting to see. I'm so grateful to have been crossing paths with her and her budding gorgeous career. We're going to have a listen to Melissa's audio piece, which is called Street Vendors Ready for Population Change. Pues yo vendo aquí, por ejemplo, fruta, raspados, aguas, chicharrones, elotes, todo eso lo vendo. Son elotes, frutas, chicharrones. Agua, raspado. These women are street vendors. They are the voices of working females, the voices of mothers, the voices of hardworking immigrants achieving their American dream. Aquí tengo 18 años de vivir acá. En este negocio tengo 8 años de estar trabajando aquí. Desde los 11 años que llegué, he trabajado. They've been working and living in Little Village for over a decade, and they are not the only ones. According to the Illinois Policy Institute as of 2017, 
There were over 1,500 food carts operating in Chicago, 55% of which were women. With the majority of the workforce being minorities, 95% of sellers support at least one dependent with their income. These women are working in a changing community that although provides for them has also gradually depreciated them over time. With Little Village being a second most populous neighborhood in Chicago, one would assume that change is common. But as the number of residents continue to grow, these women feel the flow of their customers has remained the same. De todo ha bajado un poco. Se ha bajado un poco la venta, pero igual se sigue vendiendo la fruta, el chicharrón. Um, digamos cambio que no, que casi la gente sí vienen a comprar, pero no como otros, como otros años que se ha vendido mucho. Bueno, cambios que han habido, digamos, por los impuestos que están subiendo. De las, del producto que uno compra, sí, todo eso, eso se los afecta, pues digamos que el cambio de, de que quieren subirle a las frutas y todo, pues todo eso, lo están, y es verdad, y le están subiendo todo, ¿eh? las frutas que la están comprando más cara ya, los afecta, digamos, porque por la economía que nosotros pagamos y surtimos también, eso los afecta a nosotros todo eso. With the 2020 census approaching, conversations of population change have been on the rise as well, or with hope for change on a larger scale. What affects is, for example, what happened with the floods that were going to happen. That also affects, because people don't come out, people stay there. The sales have increased a lot, yes, they have increased a lot, because you can see how it is. Yes, it has affected a lot because of what has happened, the fear that people have had, that almost not been sold como otros años. No, pues yo quiero que haya un cambio, <risa> el cambio de gobierno, <risa> cambio de presidente, para que nadie viva con temor, con miedo, pues. If you go to Little Village, it's common to find a corner store every block or so, and most of the store owners are of Mexican descent. When I go inside, when I feel as if I was in Mexico, I hear Spanish music playing, I see statues of Virgin Marys, and there's a smell of fabuloso as if the store was just mopped. A staple of life when I visited Mexico was having a local corner store. Shopping inside a corner store is part of everyday life because most families send their children out to shop for everyday items, such as beans, fresh produce, and tortillas. Little Village is a predominantly Latino community with rich culture and traditional values. It is also home to the largest Mexican community in the Midwest, a fact reflected by many unique Mexican specialty products available for merchants in the area, according to the Little Village Chamber's website. Rigo's Grocery, a corner store on the northwest corner of 30th Street and Rondale, opened its doors around early mid-90s. It has served plenty of clientele. I went to Rigo's and I talked to one of the cashiers named Veronica about the importance of the store, what the store means to her, and what it's like to run the place. 
I also interviewed one of my cousins who is a frequent customer at the Regal's Grocery. Uh, does the corn store bring memories to you of any kind from your native country? I think it definitely does. My father is from Zacatecas and when I go visit, there's, I want to say, a good corner store in every block. There's not one corner store, I mean there's not one corner that doesn't have a corner store. So being over there just relates to, to having them here because it just reminds me of when I'm back in my hometown. and. Who are your clients? Do you build nice, long-lasting relationships with them? We have customers from, honestly, all around the world, which is very surprising because we're in, um, you know, like we have a Mexican background here, which is basically just Mexicans. But, no, we have people that come from Venezuela, from Puerto Rico, from England. We've had people. So it, um, it's honestly, it's a lot of different um, nationalities. What are some good things about having your business? Honestly, I feel like, a, well, for me, a very high up there thing that, that I think is very important is the, the relationships that you build with your customers. You know, I have a lot of customers that, <clears throat> that come to me and ask me for advice or I ask, I ask them for advice. And just the relationship that you grow with customers, it makes you feel very warm and it just, it makes you feel important to know that someone cares about how your day is going or you know anything that you have to say even a simple hello it just it really warms your heart so. talking to the cashier made me feel more interested about the corner store and made me feel that the corner store is a safe space for mexican people to go and shop because of their good relationships with the people who work there something else that i want to add is that what also makes this place make people feel welcomed is the products that they sell Specifically menudo because it is a food that originates from Mexico and not a lot of corner in the area sell menudo. Generosity of people who work there is important as well and even though this wasn't talked about in the interview, from my personal experience, they've shown that they care about the people who frequently shop there because at times me or a friend of mine would have not have enough money to pay for a certain item and they would be nice enough to let us go even though we were off of money by a couple dollars or cents. I honestly believe that Veronica genuinely loves what she does and how she serves the community. The people who work there influence on the people's hearts they touch every day and the role they play in their lives. These are the building blocks of what it means to operate a corn store in Little Village. Did you know you can now stream Lumpin' Radio on your favorite internet-connected devices? Just say, Hey Alexa, play WLPN. Lumpin' Radio from TuneIn. And don't forget, you can take us with you anywhere you go. Download our app in the App Store. Lumpin' Radio, make all your robots play us. We're the students of Yolo Kali. Every Saturday, we take over Lumpen Radio for two hours with our amazing live broadcasts from Studio Y in Little Village. <laughs> Lumpen Radio's membership drive is on right now. Lumpen needs these memberships to keep shows like What's Up on the air. Did you hear that? Us, Us off, off the air? You have to become a member of Lumpen Radio with a one-time or repeating gift and support our program. It supports some other shows too, but we all know we're the best thing on this station. Visit lumpinradio.com for all the details. 
Become a member today. Go to lumpinradio.com right now. See you there. You're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolo Kali, and Little Village. Remember, this is a WhatsApp neighborhood reporting, summer 2019, a collaboration between Yolo Kali and City Bureau. And the previous pieces were Street Vendors, Ready for Population Change by Melissa Regalado and Samantha Carrera Fran, as well as Rigo's Corner Store by Sebastian Ramirez and Ashish Valentine. All right, moving right along. We're so excited right now to be talking to Adrian Villanueva and Max Herman, as well as Emmanuel Ramirez and Asia Beckham. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, what up? (laughs) (laughs) Your two groups covered some similar ideas here, talking about people moving in and out of Little Village. So tell me, how did you come up with the ideas that you tackled? Well, I noticed that there were a lot of people moving out, particularly like my friends. There was a couple of them that moved out. And I was wondering like why, like whether it was like a whole family decision or it was just their decision. And um, that's kind of what, you know, brought me forward. And also, well, Oscar, he's here. I knew he was moving and I was wondering why he and or his family had decided to move. What about you, Emmanuel? Well, my city bureau group was just mainly talking about like population change, people going places. So I thought I would just interview my mom and ask her about her life growing up and then moving here to the U.S. Asian Max, what did you learn from your mentees? I learned a lot from Emmanuel, just like his leadership and his ability to take his idea from start to finish. And I think it was just awesome seeing like his skills. Yeah, and him speak about how his skills have developed as a result of being a part of Yolkali. I was really I'm excited to work with Emmanuel, so thanks. Yeah, with from Adrian, I learned about just how well he multitasks, like sourcing music, um, researching. We did a lot of researching to look at demographic numbers and also about surrounding neighborhoods, looking at median housing prices. So he's, he's a really good researcher, and uh, we kind of like bounced ideas off each other. Great. Well, without further ado, we're going to listen to Adrian Max's Memories of Little Village and then Emmanuel and Asia's Mommy Migration. Little Village, La Villita, a booming area for Hispanic culture and the home for several generations of Mexican and Mexican-American people. This is the usual thought that many of us have when we think about this neighborhood. But what isn't realized is that in comparison to the past, this demographic isn't coming in to live here as frequently as they did 20 years ago, during the peak years for total population. Even with the Latino population still being the majority at over 80%, there are still people that are looking to move out of the neighborhood and instead to other locations further south and west in the city or to nearby suburbs due to a wide range of factors from wanting to have a change of pace to wanting to escape the violence. Here we have the accounts of many people who lived in Little Village and have moved out or are in the process of doing so. My name is Ruben Rojas. I'm 17 years old. Why did you decide to move from Little Village to where you live now? Well, my parents thought it was too dangerous. Both my parents grew up in Little Village, and so they knew the dangers firsthand. And so they didn't want that for me and my sister, and so they pretty much they got us out of there as soon as they could. It took a few years, but they were able to get us out of there. And 
In Little Village alone, do you see any differences between one side of Little Village and another? Oh, definitely. There are some parts that are like just completely ugly and like so dangerous, and there's other parts that like they don't. You can't really see the danger in them firsthand. Like um, going to my grandma's house, kind of. We have to be really careful because it is very dangerous over there, and like there's a lot of violence that goes on over there. But then you go to like another part, and then you see that it's like not nearly as dangerous. Maybe not necessarily safe, but not nearly as bad as other parts of the of the area. And so, when you moved, did you immediately notice like a complete difference between the two neighborhoods? Mm, I did, for sure. Um, when we were living in Little Village, my mom would never let us go outside, um, and she basically like wouldn't like she would keep us in the house all day because she was scared of letting us out and you know, some like scared something would happen to us. And uh, when we moved, she was like my parents both became a lot more relaxed about everything. And they were, they felt a lot more safe, and we kind of, could, me and my sister could kind of feel that in ourselves, so we were able to feel more secure as well. Is there anything you miss from Little Village? I would say, I would say just like my family and the culture, because uh, pretty much all my family's in Little Village, so and we were kind of like the only ones that got out, and uh, so sometimes we do kind of miss our family, and. Sometimes it feels kind of weird not being around a bunch of Mexicans. Sometimes it's we're around a bunch of white people and like it's just like different and it doesn't always make us feel comfortable. So I guess that would probably be something that I miss. Miss being around like people that of my same culture. Hello, my name is Oscar Perez. I'm 23 years old. Have you always lived here in Little Village? Yes, I have. Since uh, ever since I can remember, I was uh, living here in the Little Village area. Lived with my grandmother for the longest time, and she's also from the Little Village area. But um, you know, born and raised here, yeah, since the beginning. How has life gone for you while you've lived here in Little Village? I love the uh, area. I love the culture that is in here. It's so rich. The festivals we throw. The the parades and don't get me started with the food oh my god <laughs> it's like you can't get you can't get mexican food anywhere else better than here how do you feel about needing to move out say it's more of a want and less of a need because i guess maybe we're looking for a new horizon there's new locale just you know i guess it's it's kind of like i guess the best way to put it is that my folks have you know maybe wanted to find a bigger home and they've They've saved for a decent amount of their lives, and now they have an opportunity, you know, to upgrade our current, you know, uh, our living space, and that's exactly something that they were looking into. Is there anything that you're going to miss from Little Village? No, I'm gonna miss being uh, close to the family and friends. I won't be within walking distance, I imagine. So, you know, I'm gonna have to hustle and either just take Uber, take Lyft, learn. Uh, just either drive over here to you know do do all that good stuff. Realistically, yeah, I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss pretty much everything I had growing up. Yes, you know, the local food, you know, los gallos, atotonilco. I know I keep talking about food, but let's be honest, man, the food is awesome here. Mm-hmm. And then you know the the parade. Anyways, yeah, you know I'm gonna I'm just gonna miss I'm just gonna miss being around my family and friends. Uh, I'm not really. Gonna, you know, I'm gonna miss my old home too. Clearly, I'm, I'm gonna be homesick. 
You're gonna be moving into a new space, thinking about the old space. It's not gonna feel like home yet. Me llamo Leticia de Lara. Tengo 45 años de edad. Nací en Chicago, Illinois. Me crié en el estado de Zacatecas, México, hasta los 18 años de edad. Nací un día 30 de mayo de una jovencita uh, inmigrante de la Ciudad de México, uh, del Estado de México. Um, y a sus 20 años de edad, eh, casi 21, nací por un parto vaginal. Yo llegué a México a los tres meses de edad. Desafortunadamente, mis papás, aunque vivían juntos, este, no se entendían muy bien, eran muy jóvenes, eran muy inmaduros, eran ilegales. Y mi mamá y mi papá acordaron ir a llevarme a vivir con mi abuelita paterna. Siempre consideré que tenía yo mucha favor de Dios en el sentido de que en primera mi abuelita era una señora que me dedicó toda su vida al momento cuando yo llegué bebecita todo el mundo me recibió con mucho cariño con mucho amor porque pues todo el mundo quiere mucho a los babies y más cuando es un baby de tu familia y más cuando en cierta manera es un baby que ay pobrecita la abandonó su mamá o sea a mí se oye sarcastic or even like um, not nice to say but it was the truth so yo crecí con ese amor de mi abuela de mis de mi tío y de mi tía pero a la misma vez mis verdaderos papás y mi verdadera hermana que vivía en la ciudad de México no estaban presentes so llegó un punto en mi vida donde eso sí era una void en en mi en mi vida y bueno eso ya es como otro momento donde te toca estás tratando de buscar tu identidad y pienso que cuando tus padres biológicos no están presentes en tu vida eso causa conflictos de personalidad y de autoestima no pero cuando llegué a Estados Unidos en julio 3 del 93 Um, a los dos meses aproximadamente entré a una escuela que se llama Job Corps Center. Yo entré a esa escuela con, porque quería mi papá que yo aprendería inglés, que quería que me quedara ya en los Estados Unidos. Y ahí en esa escuela ya estaba registrado. A mí ya era un estudiante, mi ahora esposo. ¿Verdad, Hani? So, nos dieron un tour del edificio como una semana antes de, ese, de ese día, del de, primer día que entré, que fue el primer día, de, Day After Labor Day. Y ese día lo conocí porque andaba ahí de metichote, porque era el, como asistente security guard del edificio. Y andaba ahí metido en todos lados, especialmente miró que llegó a Bunch of Pretty Girls y andaba ahí a ver en el chisme a ver cuál le gustaba. Y fui yo. Y bueno, ahí nos conocimos en la escuela. So, as a married woman living in El Paso, Texas, we spent those first four years living in Texas. 
we came then decided to come to Chicago. En realidad, yo no vine a Estados Unidos buscando el sueño americano. En México, yo tenía todo lo que yo necesitaba y lo que yo quería. No fue hasta años recientes cuando ya este, encontré mi lugar en los Estados Unidos. Si no hubiera venido a los Estados Unidos, nunca hubiera conocido a mi marido. Por lo tanto, no tuviera a mis hijos. Yo no puedo decir que mi vida es mejor aquí que hubiera sido en México. Pero vine a Estados Unidos y aquí, aquí conocí a mi esposo, con quien tengo una vida estable. Eh, me siento... Eh, orgullosa de lo que hemos formado como matrimonio eh, las cosas que hemos este, uh, materialmente logrado y me siento orgullosa que mis hijos van a lograr llegar mucho más lejos de lo que yo pude llegar y esa es la más grande satisfacción de vivir aquí en Estados Unidos que ellos van a poder llegar más allá y van a eh, hacer sus propias vidas probablemente más fácil de lo que sería si estuviéramos en México ya ya acabé de hablar so that was memories of little village by Adrian Villanueva and Max Herman as well as Mami Migration by Emmanuel Ramirez and Aja Beckham. All right, we're really excited now to move on to the next next group of reporters today. Andrew Fan, you are a reporter at City Bureau, and tell us a little bit more about the topic that your team is tackling. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Bettina. Um, so what we're doing is we're looking at banks and how they give people money to buy homes. So, you know, banks in Chicago have like a real history of discrimination, you know, not lending to communities of color. And that's really shaped the way our city looks today. It's shaped who gets to live in what neighborhoods and, you know, how families have been able to build wealth in their communities. So we're really interested in looking at today, you know, are things better? And, and what what's the situation? And so far, we found is you know there's still big gaps, but there's also a lot of people and a lot of lenders and a lot of nonprofits really trying to do work to change that. So we're digging into both sides of that story. Excellent. So we're so excited. I mean, data stories are always tough to bring bring back down to the ground, but we do have really great stories from Oscar Perez and Aaron Allen, as well as Jennifer Lara and Kristen Simmons today. Um, so I have one question for all four of you. What is one thing you learned from your partner over the last six weeks? Kristen, do you want to start? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Bettina. Um, so one thing that I learned from Jennifer, me not being from Little Village or like the west side of the city, is just how important like places like corner stores and like community-owned businesses are to make sure that the community like stays thriving. I think something I learned from Kristen is that I kept complaining to her about how like my piece is too short, too long, and she's like, it was about the quality of your piece and not the the quantity of it. Great. What about you, Oscar? Well, I learned from my partner, Zero Bureau partner Aaron, that uh, you know you won't always have your way to persevere, especially when you're working hard on your project. Um, you're not always going to come across someone who's willing to give you said interview. So just keep on pressing on. And more importantly, just remember, just keep your chin up and you're going to get that work done. Yeah, I think Oscar is very inquisitive and intelligent. So uh, we did hit some like roadblocks. But like you said, it's definitely important to be able to continue 
continue to find new angles into stories and new ways to approach things. And I think Oscar just did a, a good job. And I think that was aided by the fact that he knows Little Village well and is able to, was able to draw off of that experience to continue to generate new ideas and eventually be able to land something. Oscar and Alan, you guys looked into a local bank here. Was it difficult to find people to talk? Well, we did definitely look into the local bank. We actually found some people who were willing to talk to us. They were uh, they were pretty friendly, you know, as I would expect of the staff of the bank. Yeah, they were pretty cool and, uh, you know, taking time out of their day, especially out of their shift to come talk to us. It's quite unfortunate, though, that we did not meet uh, we did not meet them personally, per se, because of, well, the time restrictions that were there. Unfortunately, they were extremely booked, as they put it to me. And their their, t- their dates and times of availability did not uh did not seem to coincide with what it was that we needed to uh, meet for this project. But, um, you know, it's definitely still their potential to, you know, moving forward, to speak with them again now that we've definitely established who it is we need to talk to. Yeah, I think the the issue we ran into was just it being hard to navigate these institutions in general. And so whether it would be even finding the representative who you need to talk to specifically. And so when, when we did cold calls or cold walking into into the bank, it was they weren't directing us to the right person or it was we don't know who we used to talk to, but it was when we had to go and find direct representatives to ask for it when we started to kind of see um, a difference. But I think that speaks to how difficult it is for people who aren't a part of this web to to navigate these um, banks and institutions. Sure, those interviews can be so hard to get. I think uh, every journalist out there understands that. Jennifer and Kristen, which uh, sources did you use and how did you choose them? We used a local business here in Little Village. It's called Azucar. I decided to interview this man because I think it made sense because I decided to like focus on like the business side of foreclosure. You know, we're like the second most profitable street here in Little Village. But I was like, what's the point in having that title if we constantly close down like stores so quickly? Because we can't keep them up and running. Yeah, um, something that I saw Jennifer very focused on was she had this like innate curiosity with what's going on in the community, especially with people who like own these businesses and live in Little Village. So um, just going out there and like trying to get interviews with people on 26th Street was something that was very important to the reporting that me and Jennifer did. Great. Well, thanks for all of your hard work. And we are going to go ahead and listen to Oscar Perez and Aaron Allen's story, Setting Roots in Little Village. And then right after that, Jennifer Lares and Kristen Simmons's story, The Community Needs Azucar. Hello, my name is Oscar, and I'm an active community member and resident of Little Village. Recently, I developed an interest in what it was like to be a homeowner in Little Village. Have you ever considered being a homeowner? Have your sights set here? In cooperation with City Bureau, alongside my partner Aaron, we set out to find homeowners who would enlighten us with their experience. So, do you mind introducing yourself? Hi, I'm Miss Gonzalez. Hello, Miss Gonzalez. Let's get started. What does it mean to you to be a homeowner? It means freedom to live how you choose. Like for instance, if you want to be out in your yard and grill or have a pool, you do not need to ask for permission to anyone. That's one example. What are some of the benefits of being a homeowner as opposed to renting? 
the benefits of being a homeowner as opposed to renting would be as a homeowner you have the luxury of making decisions on your own um, as opposed a person who rents you have to seek approval for things such as having a pet getting carpet using space such as backyard or garage as a homeowner you are also investing by building equity in your home with the possibility of profiting later in your home um, happens to set sell for more at a later time in the future when and why did you decide to become a homeowner I decided to become a homeowner about 15 years ago it was more so the idea of my family that always told me there was more value to owning than renting uh, basically I was told invest in a future for you instead of giving your money away what that meant was if I rented I would not be accumulating anything towards my future but if I had a home I would acquire something that had value and would also keep adding value throughout the years what is it like to be a homeowner in Little Village Little Village is a great little town a gem rich in culture little piece of Mexico and Chicago surrounded by great hard-working people and amazing food I really enjoy living here because there are many businesses that are walking distance. Um, for instance, I can have a craving at 3 a.m. in the morning for tacos and walk 10 minutes there and back home to enjoy my food. What were some factors when deciding to purchase your home in Little Village? Most of my family already lived in Little Village, so really there was no thoughts of living elsewhere. I just wanted to own a home near the rest of my family. If any, what were some challenges you faced when applying for a home loan? Some obstacles in my home purchase that I recall was turning in paperwork constantly, uh, making an effort as a family to save the money needed for the down payment while paying rent was also a challenge. What originally drew you into your home and how has it treated you throughout the years? The appeal in my decision to buy my home was space. I was looking for more space as my children grew and wanted their individual rooms. I was also looking for a home with a spacious backyard so they can be safe and play in the comfort of our home. My name is Jennifer and I am a 16-year-old girl. I've been raised in Little Village almost all my life. When someone thinks of Little Village, I can guarantee you that most people will be quick to mention 26th Street. This street in particular is the second highest crossing street in the city. The residents are 84% Latino, 12% African American, and 39% foreign born. Despite the success of this, we seem to struggle to keep a business up and running in this area. I went out and spoke with the man who I've known as a little girl, the man who I saw every Sunday on my way out of church to get ice cream. His name is Victor, and at the time, he only owned a car. Today, he runs a family-owned business, Azúcar, near the church St. Agnes, and it is incredibly successful to the point where he has people lined all the way from the inside to the outside of the store for his ice cream. Speaking with Victor, I realized the significance of supporting each other to succeed as local businesses here in Little Village. No hay mucho apoyo, incluso entre organizaciones. Yo en estos últimos meses tuve eventos aquí. 
y invité a personas de varias organizaciones cuando cada quien tenía y uno al otro no se apoya. What do we know about what it takes to run a successful business here in 26th Street? Unless we come from a background of former business owners, we are clueless and especially in an area where we all have repetitive businesses around us. La ciudad tendría una, un mejor, este, un valor en renombre como ciudad limpia, segura, de empleos. Uh, en ella, en toda la ciudad, en este caso de nuestro barrio La Villita, nos beneficiaríamos porque independientemente del que sube el valor de la propiedad de, o del lugar, tendríamos un mejor, una mejor calidad de vida. New and current people will be drawn to Little Village and especially if it becomes up and coming to the modern standards. If the city were to invest in its renovation, Little Village neighborhood could bring new revenue just as quick as the people taking an interest in it. Uh, las personas somos de los que nos quejamos, pero nunca buscamos, pero la gente también es muy indiferente o apática a buscar este, esos recursos para mejorar eh, el barrio. Unless we come together as a community here in Little Village, we will always remain the same. Success will happen if it starts within a supportive community. Remember, you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpin' Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolo Cali, <coughs> Little Village. Today, we are reporting Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2019, a collaboration between Yolo Cali and City Bureau. And that was just capturing our first hour, and now we're moving on to the second hour. But before we head over to our third team, we still have one more person for the second team, which is Group Lending. And here we have Gloria Valle and Andrew Fan. Hi, I'm Gloria, also known as Nine. Hey, how's it going? What do you guys have to introduce for us today? Well, my audio piece is on a community meeting that took place in Little Village in regards to a plaza project proposal for the Marshall Boulevard. I chose to pick this topic on this meeting because the main guest of the meeting spoke about building relationships with banks in order to provide resources for the community, which was a bit confusing, but I made that connection to focus on this neighborhood meeting. I do want to mention that this project is not 100% approved but a portion of it is, and the rest is still being worked out, but that's why this meeting was so important because um, the community knows that they should have an input in this project that can really impact and change the neighborhood. But yeah, it was really fun doing research with my mentor. Uh, he showed me a lot of ways that I can access information that's public and accessible online, so that was really interesting to know. I do want to just give a quick shout out to all the brave people who tackle these conversations in public spaces, specifically one of my amazing friends who I learned a lot from every single day throughout her work, Glow. Shout out, Glow, to you. <laughs> and Andrew, question for you. How was it working with Nine on this piece? I mean, it was really great. Um, you know, uh, Nine, I honestly feel like Nine's a great reporter. You know, she did everything that you know in this really complicated project you know she took a topic that you know this community meeting that was really intense where there's you know people feuding with this artist there's like four or five different projects going on there's the role of the alderman hanging over all of it and she found a way to sort of think about all those pieces figure out what was important and really just like narrow in on that as the story and that's a really hard skill for anyone to learn i was just really impressed working with with her up next we have uh, marsha boulevard plaza project by gloria valle and andrew fan and Open Center for the Arts is a gallery on 22nd in Sacramento, founded by Omar Magaña. Open has recently proposed a project to transform the Marshall Boulevard into a plaza like the ones you would find in Latin America. 
The idea is to split it into three small plazas and have 32 spots for original benches from the 31 states of Mexico and one from the capital city. Along with that, the plaza would have four entries represented by the four elements. This project would have a budget of $4 million. The residents in Little Village who live on and near the boulevard are highly concerned about the changes this transformation will bring to the neighborhood. Sara Cortez, Gloria Talamantes, and Edith Tobar, who are residents from the boulevard, organized a community meeting on June 19 of 2019, involving their neighborhood along Omar Magaña and Alderman Cardenas, who in fact did not attend the meeting. Some of the many concerns revolve around why was the community not involved in the planning of the project? Who is funding the project? Why is it in their interest to fund the project along displacement concerns? This was the outcome of the meeting. So right now, the, what we have uh, as far as committed to fund this project, Alderman Carnas has said that he would fund $100,000 a year for four years that he is in office. We have Lincoln Park Zoo that said that they would fund uh, what is the nature play playground and the installation of all the sculptures. We have WEF said that they said they will fund what is the the plaza, the rain plaza in front of Salcedo. Uh, right now, the banks, uh, there, there is banks that want to fund the whole project. Wintrust would want to fund the whole project, but we told them they cannot fund the whole project. We also talked to to uh, uh, Senator Sandoval, because he said he could fund the whole project. But the idea is not for one entity to fund a whole project. What we want to do is make sure it's a community of funders. So we have talked to Mark MacArthur Foundation, Driehaus Foundation, uh, the Joyce Foundation. We have talked to the Elmwood Foundation. How is open addressing the minimizing of the displacement and gentrification in the community it serves? Awesome. So right now we are connecting with several of the banks in the community. CBC with U.S. Bank with Chase, and what we are doing is we're bringing them all together so they can give resources. As far as the displacement, we do not have anything about displacement. We are not a we are not a housing organization. We are an arts organization, but we are connecting with uh, Lucha, which they are they are informed of about housing and what all that is. So, I, I'm, I'm really baffled by this idea of banks just wanting to give money, and I don't understand how that works, because usually a bank gives a loan and they want to make interest off of it. So the only thing that it makes me think of is that the banks are thinking that if they put in money that the community will change some and rich, you know, people will get mortgages for richer houses and stuff like This is the kind of... What interest a bank would have to just give money for this project? So uh, every time that we present to the bank, it's usually a Mexican representative. And when we present the Plaza Project, it connects with them somehow. And they are super interested in saying, well, let me talk to the whole bank to see how it is that we can make this happen. These are the conversations that we have had with the people that, the representatives of the banks. As far as how they give money or why they give money, that I do not know. You contradicted yourself when you said, oh, I have nothing to do with gentrification because um, I'm not part of housing. But then again, you're out there asking for information on how to help people get housing. When it comes to gentrification, you know, this is something, for me, it is just something that just creates some sort of conflict. I, I do know that neighborhoods change, 
My family has moved from neighborhood to neighborhood. I have been to many parts of this uh, city. And before, it wasn't called gentrification. It was just that the rent went up, or we couldn't afford it anymore. So when, when this term gentrification comes, to me, all I see is it creates some sort of hate between cultures and, and also financial gain. Gentrification so me, has been going on since the 60s. So me as a... Uh, it's not as, a new term. Yeah. Me as a, as a person, uh, when I buy a property, I would love for it to increase in value. I would not love for it not to, to lose so value. You love it. So, <laughs> I am about... I am about investing in a property and making sure that I have a future for my family. So not for the community. Okay, not for the community. So, are you doing a project that not just impacts you, but it impacts the entire community? I have a question. I have a question. It seems like the people who will be most affected by this are the people who live on the boulevard. And you talked about corporate support, but I haven't heard anything about resident support. Do the residents need or want this? So we have been presenting this in, in many different places and um, all the feedback has been positive. So that is as much as we have for that. Corporate business is no longer needed. We got enough of that. I'm not saying the project's wrong. I'm just saying that there's a lot of things you could help in. Especially if you have that portion, you got that ability to get $4 million. So consciously, in your mind, is it gonna be benefit the community or are you gonna benefit your ideology of what you think the corporate business wants in this area? If you walk outside right now, Omar, you cannot tell me that there's something wrong with the boulevard. You see how green it is, right? It's beautiful out there. And they keep it clean. You know, this is the first time that we have done a project of this magnitude. We are doing our best to present it to every single body, and we have not stopped presenting this project to the neighborhood. Project of this mass, so that to me is a red flag, um, because you don't have that experience, first of all. Secondly, last year the alderman gave you $100,000 to create four murals, a match fund project that you have not started. So how can we trust that you can do something this big of this capacity in our neighborhood? The neighborhood agrees that this project did not start off on the right note, even if Magaña believes otherwise. As of August 16th of 2019, the concerns have not been resolved. There are still many questions that need to be answered, like why are banks donating money just because? What do they want in return? And how can this project prevent displacement? Hello, we are back for the second hour, and up next we have our group Immigration and as well for Census. For team leader, we have Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Hey, how's it going? For the third team, we have Diego Barrera with Sarah Conway and Giovanni Macias with Alexis Kwan. So, welcome, guys. How are you guys today? Hi, I'm doing good today. Could you guys tell us a little bit about uh, your projects and your pieces? What was some topics that interested you, and what was the reason for doing this audio piece? Um, so, me and Sarah, we basically both had questions about like the census, like what it was for and what it was used for. So, we did a lot of we did a lot of research actually, and it can get very complicated because it dates back to. 1790 <laughs> so 
So it's really old, but we we learned a lot of stuff about what the sense is and what it's used for. Yeah, and we kind of wanted to explore through the audio story, like why people um, may be hesitant about doing the census um, and kind of how the census impacts different communities. And that shows up in kind of the undercount of people, which means that there's not an accurate count of certain populations in the U.S. and then they get less resources. Gio and Alexis. Hello. Um, so for me, almost similar thing. So for once, I, I was like, what is the census? And when this was first approached to us, I didn't know what the census was. And then as more as it was explained, the more confused I was. <laughs> so luckily, like I had like I had a friend and he's studying. Uh, I can never say it, but like it's some, it has something to do with like you know things like he studied something and like it involved the census so he was like able to speak about the topic so i wanted to like get to people to know what really is the census as well and then also at the same time it's like why are immigrants scared about it at the same time like i got like the information of like what is the census and then i wanted to also implement like why are immigrants probably scared of the census especially because of the question that trump wanted to ask about legal status yeah and like what you were saying like I think it'd be valuable to like have sort of concrete experiences because like the census tends to be kind of abstract for people. So we wanted to provide something, uh, something like that. Quick question. Uh, what is the importance of um, as for youth to do neighborhood reporting, uh, especially on this scale uh, that involves the census as well? Do you guys have any take on that? I was so impressed by Diego's reporting on this topic. And as you'll hear in his audio story, he really broke it down to a you know, neighborhood level looking at it. He interviewed his parents who had did the 2010 census. So kind of, I think, like an, an importance of neighborhood reporting is really showing it within a neighborhood and on an individual level, like it, within like inviting someone in kind of like into your house through an audio story to show how people feel about this issue. What do you think? Um, yeah, because what I wanted to do with it is like to have... Um, people from the community like a mem- like members from the community like talk about the census and like why they do it and why it's good to do it and especially because they're spanish speakers i thought it was a good idea also just because like in the neighborhood that we live in it's a latinx neighborhood and so majority mexicans and so like even just how i said earlier i never heard about the census and from what i've known the census comes up every 10 years and so i'm 18 and never once in my life have I ever heard about the census or anybody approached me. So I think it's important for my community or our community to know about these things. And also at the same time, know if, if, if they want to do it, like give them the option to know like the good and the bad about the census so they can put their take on if they want to participate or not. Yeah, and I think for the, uh, it's especially important for the youth because like with issues like the census, they're kind of like slow rolling. So, like, they'll see things now that won't affect them until they're, like, in their adulthood. Great. So, we also have um, two other members of the team here with us right now. We've got Emilio Gonzalez and Morgan Lee, as well as Marilyn Valle and Ayanna Cochran. And you were also on Team Census. So, to you, Emilio, what was most interesting about the census? So, pretty much what, like, uh, Gio said that, like, he didn't know about it and, like, a bunch of people from, like, uh, around the area, also didn't know. For me, it was more like I didn't know about it, but it kind of also surprised me about how people didn't know about this information. So, Morgan, in your interviews, what is the number one thing that people don't know about the census but they should know? 
It's a great question. I think that people are unaware that it has major consequences for how much money that states get to do different government programs. So the federal government does lots of different programs. And in order for them to figure out their budget every year and which states are going to get that money, it's going to be using census numbers to determine that. It's a lot of money too, right? Yes. How much does Illinois get? That's a great question. Millions of dollars, I believe. <laughs> at, the, at the very least, right? So a lot of times people think of it from a more congressional level, which is obviously really important about how many um, different representatives each state can have. But another one is definitely how much money we're going to get or not get. And Mary, you took it in a slightly different direction, right? You, you went ahead and wrote a poem? Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a poem explaining immigration and census in one piece. And how, like, and how, like, it's, it's like, the census is bringing, like, a scare now because of the question. But I was explaining about the census and immigration in one poem. Um, yeah. And what did you learn from Ayana, your partner? Um, I learned a lot of things, um, mostly um, about her and census and how, because I didn't really know about them. So I felt like it was surprising that a lot of people didn't either. Yeah. Great. And Ayana, what did you learn from Mede while you guys were working together? Uh, for me, it was definitely learning how to explain such a complex topic to someone who's 11, but also understanding that, you know, she's a person and she's not, she's capable of understanding such a topic and to break it down, to make it sure that she understood and she also didn't get bored with it. Wonderful. Um, and what a... Did you, the two of you talk about poetry together? Well, what are some uh, po poems or poets that you you admire? I don't think I could pick a favorite, um, but I I do read a lot of poetry, and I think from my writing class mm. in school, um, I got into poetry because of it, and I feel like um, it was a way of expressing it in a different way. We're so excited to hear your poem in just a few minutes. Um, before we get into that, we are going to talk to the last group here, which is Marie Meraz and Irene Romulo. Marie, what uh, what topic did you tackle, and, and why was it interesting to you? Me and Irene, we were talking about like uh, the two gender question on the census, and the reason that we found that um, interesting was because like there's different types of people that don't fit into that gender spectrum just those two boxes and how the lgbtq community is kind of left out of the census because of that question yeah like in the beginning of our conversation i remember we started talking about immigration and like the fear around it and also just talking about what the census is because we realized that a lot of people like again don't know and then deeper in those conversations we got to talking about gender and again how there was this big like controversy about the gender question on the census but like ultimately like not enough attention was paid to that given that the citizenship question on the census was such a big deal so yeah that's kind of where that came from we wanted to learn more and we reached out to some national organizations and some local organizations and some didn't even respond or like you know even though we assumed that they would have more to say they just gave us like really bland answers um but ultimately like i think the piece ended up being really good speaking to again like local activists who seem to be more always aware of what's happening we're going to have a listen to the audio pieces we have diego Barrera with sarah conway on census who and giovanni macias with Alexis Kwan on why immigrants are scared of the census. Hi, BBs. This is Didi again, and today we're going to create this deep, fatty census look. 
But first, let's bust down some knowledge on y'all. Um, but what is the census? <laughs> so my name is Sebastian Hidalgo. I'm 24 years old and I am a visual journalist. Yes, it's in the Constitution, I think, um, to have people counted um, or an effort to count every American um, in the United States, except for Native Americans. I think it's in the Constitution, which I've been on a mission to research information, and this gentleman that we found on the street was very knowledgeable. But unfortunately, not many people knew what the real tea is, so it was up to me to spread awareness. Hospitals, fire departments, schools, even roads and highways, the census can shape many different aspects of your community. Each year, the results help determine how more than $675 billion in federal funding is distributed to the states and communities. It is also mandated by the Constitution. The U.S. has counted its population every 10 years since 1790. Dang, and I thought the Queen of England was old. I was my own thing. I was doing my own thing. I didn't feel out of order. I, I remember seeing a male that my parents got. It's a United States Census Bureau. But I thought it was just a kid. So, how can we be aware or can spread the knowledge and the importance of it all? Well, maybe we should start from home. So I went to Casa Bibi and I spoke to my parents asking them three questions. What was their experience like with the census? If they have a preference on the language they prefer, when they fill out the census, and if they knew what the information is for. Mi nombre es Yanel Ramirez. Okay, mi nombre es Enrique Barrera. Por mi experiencia es que la, el, el gobierno quiere uh, re, recabar fondos, re, uh, poner fondos para para cada estado, y si las personas no no se ponen en el censo, el, el Estado no recibe dinero. Y en realidad yo no tengo otra cuestión que a, agregar porque la verdad no sé por qué lo hacen. El idioma que yo quiero en el censo es español porque es mi primer idioma y aparte porque lo entiendo mejor que el inglés. So the census isn't my arrest warrant? <laughs> Silly me. Many people assume the worst when the census comes every 10 years. So I asked my parents if they had any advice about the census and why at first they didn't want to do the census. Mi consejo es que todos lo debemos hacer para las personas, para saber uh, qué necesidades hay en la población. Mi consejo es que también lo hagan y no tengan miedo porque no 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 les afecte nada y específicamente eh, la pregunta es que porque yo pensé que no no me importaba y no era necesario pero con el tiempo me he dado cuenta que que, que sí es necesario si es eh, para beneficiarnos o para perjudicarnos pero en realidad no es para perjudicarnos sino para beneficiar a, a, a la gente Y debes entender que lo tienes que hacer. Yo nunca dije que yo no quería hacerlo. Oh. Tu papá dijo que no lo quería hacer. Yo siempre lo he hecho el censo. I can now say that my parents have snatched my wig. I couldn't be more proud. 
So, en 2020, en la comunidad de Little Village y todo el país debemos de participar en el censo. Hey babies, it's Gigi from the Gigi and Didi show. And I'm here to let you know that the census is coming up. And no girl, this isn't the census coming up story, like me and Didi like to call it, but literally the census is coming up soon. Now, before you check out the census, let's get to know what the census is really about. Let's see if she's her type of girl, okay? My name is Cameron. I am 20 years old and I attend Loyola University, Chicago, majoring in anthropology and a minor in African diaspora, African studies. Do you know about the census? Yes. I've heard of it. I have never participated in it. But yes, I know about the census. What do you know about the census? Well, I know that the census is basically an arbitrary means of monitoring minority growth patterns in the U.S., even though it is marketed as a means of, quote-unquote, tracking just individuals. But it's really a system you put in place by the government to track the growth of minorities. I think the census is an outdated system, especially because a lot of people try to use it to justify citizenship, when, especially in the U.S., most people here weren't originally from here, so they have no bearing as to say who does and does not belong. I believe it has the potential to greatly affect U.S. immigrants because, like, a prime example that I can think of is, like, during World War II, that's how World War II started, Hitler used census information to target Jewish individuals. So, basically, you can see patterns between what Trump is trying to do with citizenship and what Hitler did with Jewish religion. Well, I know that the census is supposed to track the amount of people that live in said state, and then that information is then used to determine the amount of representatives that they get in the House of Representatives. And also, I think it's supposed to help to use to determine like public funding, like what tax money goes to. So would you consider doing the census? Yes and no. I would say yes, because I feel like it's a good thing to at least do once, because this will be my first time being able to do it. And no, because like I said, it's a racist means of monitoring minority growth patterns, and I don't need to be another statistic in minority growth. So the census really isn't everyone's cup of tea, as Cameron has explained that even through history, the census really didn't have the BB's backs. And immigrants might see the census as a threat now, so let's see what an immigrant in the U.S. has to say about this. Soy Liliana. He vivido en La Bellita por 19 años. ¿Tú sabes sobre los censos? Sí. Yo no he participado en los censos porque no he tenido la oportunidad de participar. Los censos impactan a la comunidad hispana porque al hacer el conteo, ellos los cuentan como inmigrantes y no como ciudadanos. Sabiendo que el presidente quiso pasar una pregunta sobre nuestro estatus legal. Fue bueno que no pasara la propuesta, que pusieran esa pregunta, porque la gente tendría más miedo de participar en los censos. Porque la gente va a tener miedo de dar su información y van a pensar que la van a deportar. 
También por esa razón yo no participaría. Liliana explains that the census don't really count minority groups, that even if they were to participate in the census, she's known cases where Latinx people were not counted because of their citizenship status that was judged based on their race or ethnicity. Liliana also mentions how immigrants, especially Latinx immigrants, are afraid of being deported or separated by families because of President Trump, which is why some people, including herself, wouldn't consider participating in the census. Creo que los censos no representan bien a las comunidades minoritarias, porque las comunidades minoritarias no son contadas como ciudadanos, sino como inmigrantes. Y por eso esas comunidades son marginadas del gobierno y no les dan el suficiente dinero que se necesita. No sé si participarían los censos por la situación que se están separando tantas familias de inmigrantes. The census creates a big scare for our fellow immigrant babies out there because they feel they're risking being deported or separated from their families by providing trackable information. It's important to be counted in the census so you can help represent your community as accurate as possible, so you can receive the right amount of funding for resources such as public education, medical care, and more. But it's also important to feel safe when participating in the census, so it's up to you, babies. All right, welcome back to Studio Y, Yolo Kali in Little Village. This is Bettina Chang with City Bureau, and we are talking Census 2020 today. Um, there are a lot of uh, rumors going around about the census. Sarah Conway, you are the team leader of the census team. So tell me, um, is there going to be a citizenship question on the census? No, there's not going to be a citizenship question on the census. It was shut down by the Supreme Court in the end of June, but from our interviews with community advocates and Chicagoans, a lot of people feel that the damage is already kind of done, that, you know, we're, as I remember someone at ICER, which is an, an immigrant advocacy group here in Illinois, said, like, we've never been in a time where immigrants are more targeted than they are now in the U.S. And so really, you know, like the environment from federal policy, how it's trickled down to the local level, people are really afraid. And, you know, some people feel like, you know, the intentions behind the citizenship question um, may have been to suppress participation in the census. As we've been kind of talking about and was discussed in the, the various stories we've just played, you know, participation equals resources and money. And so when people don't participate, it means that their communities get less money for schools, roads, hospitals, and that also goes into social services like SNAP or WIC. And then, you know, that further kind of complicates political representation. So when you're not counted, your community has less political representation. So, um, yeah, I mean, the citizenship question from, you know, everyone we talked to this summer, people kind of feel like the damage is already done with it. And the census is meant to count everybody who lives in the United States regardless of their their legal status. Is that right? Yeah, it counts everyone in the U.S. regardless of their legal status. Um, visitors, so people that are here on vacation are not counted. But besides that, yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks so much for for talking about that. Next up, we have some some pieces that talk about, you know, I think it sounds like from the audio pieces that we're listening to that the census is important. But, you know, there are flaws. There are things that uh, people don't necessarily agree with in terms of the way the census is told. So next up, we have uh, Emilio Gonzalez and Morgan Lee's story, Identity, What Does the U.S. Hide? As well as Mary Valle and um, Ayana Cochran's story, Poetic Immigration Census. Coming on. Did you know you can now stream Lumpin' Radio on your favorite internet-connected devices? Just say, Hey Alexa, play WLPN. Lumpin' Radio from TuneIn. And don't forget, you can take us with you anywhere you go. Download our app in the App Store. Lumpin' Radio, make all your robots play us. We're the students of Yolo Kali. Every Saturday, we take over Lumpen Radio for two hours with our amazing live broadcasts from Studio Y in Little Village. <laughs> Lumpen Radio's membership drive is on right now. Lumpen needs these memberships to keep shows like What's Up on the air. Did you hear that? Us, Us off, off the air? You have to become a member of Lumpen Radio with a one-time or repeating gift and support our program. It supports some other shows too, but we all know we're the best thing on this station. Visit LumpenRadio.com for all the details. Become a member today. Go to LumpenRadio.com right now. See you there. Hello, my name is Emilio, and I'm 18 years old. I enjoy audio editing, which ties into my hobby for producing music. Yeah. I was born and raised in San Luis Potosí, Mexico, where I also attended elementary school and middle school. Growing up, I learned to make new friends and extended my vocabulary. One word that was stuck with me was mestizo. What is a mestizo? The word mestizo means any person of mixed blood, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. You can imagine my shock when I discovered I was a mestizo. But why is that and what exactly qualify me as one? Well, I am the descendant of the Spaniards who conquered Mexico and mixed with the indigenous people. The result was those of us today, like myself, were called mestizos. At the same time, the Spaniards also mixed with African slaves to form a group called mulatos. Through my time in Mexico, I was taught that there were two mixed races. The two consisted of mestizo and mulato and the majority of the population in Mexico identify as mestizos. Despite the fact that millions of Mexicans descendants are living in the U.S., you won't find the word mestizo on the U.S. Census. In the census, there are two questions that confuse people asking for their origin and their race. The question asks, are you Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin? You then have options like non-Hispanic, Latino, Mexican, Puerto Rican, or Cuban. You also get an additional choice where you can write your preferred nationality, like Salvadorian or Dominican, etc. Another question asks you to identify your race. You're asked if you are white, black, American Indian, Asian, or other. You might notice that there is no option to indicate whether you are Hispanic or Latino descendant. 
let alone an option to identify mestizo. In the 1930s, the census was altered and had an option to identify as Mexican was cited as a race. Interestingly, in the 1929, Mexican-Americans were protesting to get rid of the newly added alteration. This was due in part because they identified themselves as white, not Mexican. The reason why Mexican was cited as a race is because when the Southwest was taken over by the United States, they promised Mexico that the people there would be treated as citizens. However, at the time, in America, in order to be a citizen, you had to be white. In the 1970s, Hispanic was introduced an option into the U.S. Census, but only in a couple of forms. Finally, in the 1980s, Hispanic was widely accepted and added across all forms. Looking forward in 2020, there are plans to add more options to the U.S. Census, allowing people to identify more accurately and freely. No longer will people feel that they are forced to conform the race. Yeah, my name is Davon Clark. I've seen it done in different ways, like on other like things collecting demographics inside the United States. Like I've seen um, like people put like mixed race, and then it'll be like specify, or it'll say like, are you black or white? And then you'll like either mark one of those, and then it'll be like, well, what like nationality versus ethnicity versus race are you and stuff. Um, so I don't know if like necessarily like I'm marking that I'm mixed is would be good, but I would like a way to talk about different ethnicities or races on the census. Yeah. I mean, like in the United States, there's a lot of white people. So like people just naturally are going to be mixed with white more. And then also like, I think, especially with Latino people, um, we're really going through the conversation now of like what Afro-Latina, like Afro-Latina that looks like or things outside of that. Um, like you could be white and Latino, right? Like I don't think the, like the, the two divide each other. You could also be like black and Latino or you could be Afro-Latinx like, um, no, it doesn't surprise me that 40% of I would think it'd be more, I guess. Esmeralda, Zavala? I've actually never thought of it, but because um, Latinos are so diverse, um, I'd say, sure, why not? I'm not surprised. Um, surprised. Well, I, yeah, I guess I, I am and I'm not. 46 is a pretty big percentage. But considering how diverse we are, um, I, can, I can see that. Uh, Francisco Avila Espino. I think Latinidad and the concept of it is complex, but um, I do identify as like Latinx. Um, specifically by geography, I was born in Acapulco, Guerrero, so I can identify as Costeño. I mean, it doesn't. Uh, Latinos have a really close proximity to whiteness, and so I think it all depends on sort of, um, A, from my experience and from just like research and literature that I know about and even my own proximity to whiteness and the, the way like migrants have to assimilate, um, I'm not surprised. Hello, I'm Mere. Today I'm going to talk about the census and immigration. The other day, I was able to speak with poets at the 2019 Chicago Poetry Block Party at the National Museum of Mexican Art. Fellow poets expressed their feelings on immigration and their worries that come along with the census. We talked about their inspiration and about their work. Let's listen to what they have to say. My name is Deborah Deep Mouton. What kind of poetry do you write? 
I write a little bit of everything. Um, I'm a performance poet, so my work doesn't just live on the page, but I actually perform it. What inspired you to be a poet? I think that I always read poetry when I was younger, and my mom always told me stories, and I just love being able to find a way to share new stories with people. Have you ever heard about the senses? Or... You said the senses? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you ever filled out, like, papers? I have filled out a census form, but it was a very long time ago. I hated it, to be honest with you. How do you feel about immigration? I think that immigration is necessary if we're going to have the kind of country that celebrates equality and celebrates justice and celebrates diverse populations, that immigration is necessary. Do you fear for immigration for, like, some people? Not at all. Does some of your poetry, like, have you ever wrote about census or immigration? I have written about immigration. I actually am a teacher, and a lot of the populations that I teach struggle with um, being able to get immigration into the United States. And so I often write about the process of teaching that kind of population. So thank you for the interview. Anytime. Hi, my name is Silai Karzai. I love writing poetry about my identity and my culture. So I'm Afghan American and I write a lot about how I belong to America and the kind of communities that I want to build and the kind of future I want to build. Can you explain something about the census or like what do you think about the census? So I think that's a really, um, that's a tool to decide who's a citizen and who's not. And I think that it's, yeah, it's a tool for demarcating who's, who's part of a community and who's not. And I know that recently the talk, the question has come up about whether or not to include citizenship status on the census. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. And it's part of the, it's one of the tools that the government uses to decide who belongs in a community and who doesn't. What do you feel about immigration? Like, have you ever been part of immigration or are you afraid of it or? Great question. Um, I, my parents immigrated here like 30 years ago from Afghanistan. So I'm, I am, that's part of my history. Um, and I have a lot of, um, I know people who are undocumented. And so what I feel when I think about immigration is that this country uses a lot of unjust policies to decide who is a citizen and who cannot be a citizen. And I think we have a lot of work to do to decide, to think more, to think beyond borders. I haven't specifically written about the census, but I definitely should now that you're asking me. Um, but about immigration, absolutely. I write one of my, well, I published a poem recently um, in, it's called, it's in Newtown Literary Journal. It's a, it's a journal based in Queens, New York. Um, and it's about, I wrote a poem called Customs. And in this poem, the, the speaker talks about what it's like to be interrogated by a customs border agent at the airport. And it's in, it's in this mundane, you know, everyday kind of conversation that things come up for the speaker. They feel like they don't belong to this country. Like there's something in, like sort of an invasive species in this mundane interaction. What inspired you to be a poet? Beautiful question. I think what inspired me is Poetry is, can be used for so many things, and for me, the biggest thing is survival. Just recording my history, recording my family's history, and recording my people's history. That's why, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, well, thank you for letting me interview you. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're my name is Davon Clark. 
Um, what kind of poetry do you write? Um, I like to write poetry that uses like happiness and joy as the center of it so that other people can feel happy when they hear it. Have you ever heard about the senses or experienced it? I'm trying to think if I ever filled it out. I don't think I've ever filled it out because I've never been the head of a household. But like I know about it and I know that my family, I'm half Puerto Rican, and I know that my family has had a complicated relationship to it of just like trying to find out who we are and stuff. Do you ever fear of immigration or are you scared of immigration? Yeah, I mean, I'm not afraid of like immigration itself or emigration. Like I love the idea that like people want to come here for whatever reason, for either good or bad reasons. I'm afraid of what immigration looks like in this country right now and like how our policies affect um, people coming for mostly great reasons. What inspired you to be a poet? Um, there was a really cute girl in the seventh grade um, that I had a crush on and I did not tell her that I liked her. Um, and my teacher told me I should write her a poem and I wrote her one and I just kept on doing it. Oh, cool. I haven't specifically like used any data from the census, but a lot of my poetry does talk about things like race or um, different sorts of like ethnic issues that, or cultural issues that, um, that me and my people run into. Um, either like me, my people, or like the communities that I'm also around. Um, I try to use my art and my work to create conversation around things that I think are important, like immigration and like people just living and stuff. Yeah. Thanks for the interview. Yeah, thank you so much, Marilyn, for interviewing me. Yeah. Hey, babe. Is this thing working? Yes, Jerry, we're on. The census was created as a plan to empower people over the new government. It enables the United States government to count every living person and to use that count to determine representation in Congress. Hmm, sounds weird. Cut. All right, all right. So you're saying that government is keeping track of our population? Don't they already hear us? Yes. Continue, continue. Ever since 1790, every 10 years, the government makes a head count of every person in economic. But don't worry, the census is an important tool to use for our future generations. It helps our local communities to keep track of our population to accommodate our schools, public transportation, social housing, health care, and all sorts of resources that our communities need. So there's a chance that it can keep track of our history? Jerry, that's the internet. Hmm, should we be worried about the census then? No, we should be aware of our government. Remember, Jerry, the power comes from the people. We can't forget. All right, phew, thanks. I was just about to. Is that a hat? Maybe, do you want one? Although the census has been around since 1790, the poets were aware of it, yet haven't felt like participating. The now vetoed citizenship question in the 2020 census created a scare for immigrants and turned many people away from wanting to complete it. Now, what are you going to do on the upcoming census? Immigrant, newcomer, relocator, traveling, learning, crossing, 
lines, struggle, misconception, papers, counting, completing, funding, record, calculate, census, census. You are listening to What's Up Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2019, a collaboration between Yolo Kali and City Girl. Up next, we have Marie Meraz and Irene Romulo on It's Not Just a Gender Question. Census 2020 is around the corner, and it's vital that people get counted and counted correctly. On today's news, it's terrifying how many people don't even know about the census or are greatly misinformed about it. I mean, it affects the portrait of our community. It affects our receivable resources. It affects our proper representation. It affects many of our people, and to some, it affects their very sense of identity. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that there are only two genders on the census. Um... This is Crystal Alba, a core member of the Chicago Dyke March Collective and an active member of the Latinx communities. This country is still rooted in very traditional norms. And as much as our generations have caught up with transcending the idea of two genders, I still believe that the people in power and the people that make the decisions of what's on the census um, may not live our realities and take that into account. It's not just the gender question. How can just those two single boxes fit an entire identity, male and female? How is it that our identities are limited by two single boxes? Hmm. Hmm. Or some of both, or neither. Of course, it's a problem. It's very narrow-minded. It invisibilizes a lot of people and yeah, excludes people. Why even bother trying to fit yourself into a mold that you've already broken? Why even bother trying to answer a question that makes you question yourself? Why even bother with the hole when it takes a piece of your pride? I don't know how people, like I can't speak for folks that are faced with this decision. I know personally, as a genderqueer person, uh, whenever I fill out any form and I see uh, female and male, I'm more inclined to just not respond or not fill out the survey at all. I'm assuming there's people who just choose not to fill out the census to avoid having to make that choice. Um, Maybe other folks make different decisions and choose the gender that maybe they were appointed at birth, uh, which isn't fair, right? We should be able to identify as who we see ourselves to be. But it's necessary, tremendously. We want everyone to participate in the census just because the allocation of like federal tax funds, right, and the money that goes towards education and like public services is allocated based on the population, right, that's in given areas based on the responses to the census. So if we have community that isn't responding or filling out the census, then we're basically being invisibilized. So areas where more LGBTQ or trans folks like congregate because we do tend to come together in community, right, and build like these spaces, uh, we're not being acknowledged or included, right, or represented. So it's important that we are visibilized in order to create space like um, or fund allocation to resources that we need in our communities, you know, especially like health related services. They try to leave us out. Yeah, totally. I mean, there is no space just given the gender question alone, right? Um, uh, I'm not sure if there's a, I don't believe there is a sexual orientation question. I think they were considering, what's the whole controversy, right? Whether or not that was going to be something to be considered for the upcoming census. But um, sexual orientation isn't considered at all. 
Uh, I know there are parts of the census where they ask what gender so folks live in the household, whether the folks are married or not. So in a sense, they do capture um, in a very secondhand type of way, like LGBTQ people, but it's not direct or intentional. But that ain't gonna cut it, Chief. I mean, very basic, right, um, would be just offering more options, right? Or even offering multiple different gender options and an other box. Having the opportunity for folks to fill in what they identify as would be ideal, but uh, at least having more than just male and female. Up for interpretation. Interpretation is the act of explaining or otherwise showing your own understanding of something. Let these people explain their own understanding of their gender. It isn't that hard to give someone the chance to explain themselves on who they are and what their identity is. Because it's not just a gender question. All right, we are back in the studio. And we're so excited. I think it's really important to talk about these two big questions that were brought up, which is how does the census handle gender as well as race and ethnicity. So Marie Mraz and Irene Romulo, we just heard your your piece. And a uh, question for you two, do you think that the census is going to change the gender question by 2030? I sure hope so. Because again, as I said before earlier, that it does that two box gender question is just like excluding a lot of people. And like, again, like how Chris Alba, the person I interviewed, like, it'll leave a lot of people out and discourage people from participating in the census. And, I mean, yes, that um, they came really, a lot of national advocacy groups came really close to getting it on there this time around. And, you know, because of the federal administration that we got now, it got taken out. So hopefully by then it'll be something that's acknowledged. Sure. There's 10, 10 more years to figure that out, I suppose, right? And Emilio, you were talking about including Mestizo in the census. Do you think that's going to be included next time around? I hope so, too. Or if not, there were also, like, from the other interviews that I did, people were saying if it's not added, at least to add, like, more uh, more uh, than uh, Mestizo. So, like the guy said, he identifies Costeño. So, you know, there, there was more than a mestizo, so I think, yeah. Morgan, you did some reporting as well. Do you feel that the census is uh, being inclusive enough when it comes to ethnicity? I think the, the census that people will get in 2020 is not necessarily that way, but it seems like the Census Bureau itself is trying to move in that direction. All the inner politics um, of how the Census Bureau works, we haven't gotten into a ton, but the Census Bureau in between the two times does lots of focus groups and asks a lot of different community members. So they are always trying to solicit feedback about how they can better count people. Sure. So if you're out there listening, uh, if you get invited to one of these these focus groups, maybe uh, now you know that these are some major issues that people are talking about in terms of the census form. So thanks so much, everyone who participated today. Hey, Jerry, well, what, what was the most interesting that, thing that you learned over the past uh, two hours? One of the few interesting things was that, for the most part, it keeps just coming back, is that the youth are the ones that are, are in charge of writing our history, and they're the ones that are, are marking what's going on in their neighborhoods and what's going on in, in not just 
in the city of Chicago, but as was well nationally and, and what's being impactful for our families, for our community members, and for ourselves as what are we gonna, going to leave behind. And then I'm really happy and proud that the youth of Yolokali and uh, fellows from City Bureau were able to work together and work on this reporting for the summer. But yeah, it, one, of, one of the few things was that is very impactful to me is uh, uh, the census as it's coming up, it's right on April 2020 and as well as community engagement in our communities and what can we do to talk about topics and what can we do to engage our own community members and, and tell our youth like, hey, you guys have the power to, to say what you guys have to say and, and what could happen into your neighborhood and you guys have the right to say what what has to be said and what has to be done in order for everyone to listen. Even if it makes people uncomfortable, it has the truth is what, what matters. Sure, I think that you, you get to see through these stories the power that people have to harness on their own, even if the some of these topics, like we talked about neighborhood change, we talked about home lending and the census. These are three topics that I feel like, you know, might seem abstract to people, but then once you hear these young people putting together their stories, you're like, oh, this is how this affects my neighbor or how that affects my mom. And suddenly Suddenly, you feel like you can make a change on your own. Yeah, most definitely. And as well, it's it's not just something that will impact our, our current generation, but the future generations that are still growing and they're still coming up and they're becoming reporters and as well as audio editors and stuff like that. So it's something amazing that we get to pass on for future generations. Thank you so much for working with us, Yolo Kali. Um, City Bureau honestly just has so much fun every Saturday here in Little Village, hanging out, playing with the, the plush sloths. <laughs> and having fun with audio with, with all of you. You're listening to WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolo Kalin Little Village. This was Neighborhood Reporting, Summer 2019, City Bureau, with collaboration of the Yolo Kali and the youth as well. So thank you for listening, and thank you to every single one of you for producing a piece and for reporting on these uh, topics that we have to talk about. And as well, I want to give a shout out to Bettina for co-hosting with me. My name is Jerry. <laughs> My name is Bettina. And if you are interested in City Bureau, you can check us out at citybureau.org and on social media at city underscore bureau. Um, we also train and pay people to hold local government accountable. So we're always looking for new people. Come on down and sign up. And we have free trainings for everyone. Bye Thanks, everyone. everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, Hello, it's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, amazing, astonishing, highly amazing production. If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up? Again. In the meantime, we'll be working on the next one here in Lumpin' Radio. So stay tuned to our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, astonishing, highly amazing broadcast. I hope that you are informed about the awesome parts of life so that you will have a splendid day. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolokali, on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolokali, or visit at yolokaliartsreach.org for more. We are the robots. We are the robots.